podcast of Antioch Church in Colorado Springs. If you've been impacted by this ministry and would like to support the work we're doing in Colorado Springs, you can give online at our website, antiochcos.com. We hope that the Lord ministers to you through this message. Turn with me in your Bibles, if you would, on this beautiful Palm Sunday. Jonathan and Dan, get on deck. You are on deck. You guys shared some wonderful things this morning, and I thought, man, I'd like for you to share those after we read the text. So just collect your thoughts, do exactly what you did without veering one word this morning, and it'll be perfect. All right. Let's go in our Bibles to the book of Luke chapter 19. Luke chapter 19. And we've got roughly 25 minutes to make this thing work. All right, verse 28. After Jesus had said this, he went on ahead going up to Jerusalem. And as, oh, I'm so sorry. Verse 28. Did I not say that? 28. Okay. And as he approached Bethpage and Bethany at the hill called the Mount of Olives, he sent two of his disciples saying to them, go to the village ahead of you. And as you enter it, you'll find a colt there, which no one's ever ridden. Untie it and bring it to me. And if anyone asks you, why are you untying it? Say the Lord needs it. That is a good dad move right there. Just say, hey, just tell mom, dad needs it. But dad, the entire bucket of jelly beans, just tell her dad needs it. Those who were sent ahead went and found it just as he had told them. And as they were untying the colt, its owners asked them, why are you untying the colt? Dad needs it. And they brought it to Jesus, threw their cloaks on the colt, put Jesus on the colt. And as he went along, people spread their cloaks on the road. And when he came near the place where the road goes down the Mount of Olives, the whole crowd of disciples began joyfully to praise God in loud voices for all the miracles they had seen. They began to praise God for all the miracles they had seen. Blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. Some of the Pharisees in the crowd said to Jesus, Teacher, rebuke your disciples. And he told them, listen, if they keep quiet, even the stones will cry out. This is the word of the Lord. Father, thank you for your word today. And thank you that you have a word for us, a word that is inspired and illuminated by your spirit. A word, God, that is not just written, a word that is living, a word that you want to breathe into us that, we will, that, that we'll have to wrestle with and a word that ultimately will change us to be more like you and a word that will bring your kingdom for your glory. We pray these things today in Christ's name. Well, today's Palm Sunday, which in the church calendar is the Sunday, as we just read here, where Christ enters into Jerusalem. In your Bibles, it may say the triumphal entry. And uh, maybe I'm just slow to the game. Usually I am. I'm, I'm totally comfortable with that now. I have just come to the realization I'm just slow on a lot of things. And historically, uh, Palm Sunday has been one of those days where it's been like, Palm Sunday, yeah, like a pep rally right? Because I love that. I love energy. I love inspiration. I just, I love that. And then as I've just been wrestling with this text, maybe I'm finally maturing, but I'm just realizing like this, 
this wasn't really all that, like the, like the, like, like all the energy and the happiness, it was kind of, it was kind of displaced. And I'm conflicted. And so today I'm just going to like, just talk about all of how I'm just conflicted. <laughs> Dan and Jonathan, come on up. Well, uh, I think what we see that is so ironic and telling in the story of Palm Sunday is that the people are crying out for the salvation of God. And I think that what we see is that the Lord receives their praises, that their cries for Hosanna, and he receives them as intercession to bring salvation to them in a way that they will least expect it. Because what is in their minds is that they will be quite literally delivered from Rome and almost the exact opposite, the tragedy of Christ's death and the hopelessness that would follow. Yet God is actually answering their cries for their own salvation in the way that they can't even see it. They won't be able to see it until after. And I think that that is, for one, telling of how God works, that even in our moments of most terrible weaknesses and when our motives and our expectations are divided or misguided and they're exposed before God, that even then he's able to use those things for our own salvation. And I think that's what we see here in this story is that they have high and mighty expectations that Jesus has no intention of meeting. He is going to save them but he has no expect or has no intentions of delivering them in that way. And he certainly has no expectations of himself or intentions of being lifted up in that way. They, they think they're lifting up high praises, but what they're actually doing is about to lift him up on a cross. Quite literally, they will. And that is the way that God saves them. And I, I think that that is also much the way that God saves us. So. Uh, well, this morning I was, for our time of prayer, I was speaking with uh, ministry crew, which is our volunteer, uh, kind of our volunteer arm or branch, and, and just kind of presenting the Palm, you know, Palm Sunday in such a way as to turn our eyes towards one another. So basically, when Jesus came into the city, there was a celebration that was taking place, but Jesus was coming in a way, and, and we've mentioned this in years past, but Jesus was coming in a way that was different than what their expectations were, as Jonathan had just said, and um, how disappointing that can be. And, and so I'm currently reading this book. Um, it's, it's a book called, uh, uh, no, 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 it's, it's, it's by a guy named Justo Gonzalez, who's a scholar, and, and basically it's it's titled reading the, basically reading the Bible through Hispanic eyes. And it's about just how uh, the Latino or the, the Hispanic community uh, read the Bible from a very different lens than those of us who have grown up in Western Christianity here in America. So basically, for example, uh, Abraham takes Isaac and God says, hey, you need to sacrifice him on the altar to me. So for most of us, we've heard sermons that center around Abraham and the, the pain that he was walking through at such a command. Uh, then, then every once in a while, you may hear some sermons centered around the perspective of Isaac as being the one, as being the son laid upon the altar and, and, and what that did to him. But very rarely do we, and at the same time, 
the Hispanic community will read that story and they actually read the story from the perspective of the ram being sacrificed because they feel a certain measure of marginalization from society. And now here's the thing. If I look at that from a scholarly point of view, hermeneutically interpretation, all the tools of interpretation that you gather in seminary, it's not, in my opinion, it's not the greatest work of hermeneutics. But as I was reading this book, I was supremely convicted because all of a sudden the Holy Spirit was, it was like giving me a glimpse into someone else's world. And the truth is the the Bible is about a people who have been marginalized from Egypt to all the way now when Palm Sunday, Jesus is coming into a city ruled by Rome and a people feeling marginalized. And so basically this, my, my word to those of us who are volunteering or ministering in any capacity and really for the body of Christ is that we, we take, we don't forget that there are people who might be participating on Palm Sunday who are not going through the feelings and emotions of celebration. And what happens is, and, and this is, I think, what maybe Pastor was asking me to share finally. We've got there. We've got here. But it's easy for us as humans to take whatever situation I'm in and just assume that that's what everybody else is walking through. So if I wake up in a good mood, I just assume everybody else is in a good mood. And then we're shocked or offended when someone isn't. (laughs) Well, I can't believe this. But basically, I think what God is asking of us today as we look back on this is that instead of taking celebration, right? Because that's what Palm Sunday is about, is the celebration of Jesus coming in as king. And instead of laying it on top of other people's experiences, instead of laying it on top as if we were trying to cover their pain, that instead Jesus is asking, Jesus is asking us to take that celebration and put it under their experience so that it might lift them up. Fantastic. Outstanding, guys. Outstanding. Uh, I want to talk with you here just in the next few minutes that we have on on something that honestly just requires a little bit of maturity. And it requires uh, a little bit of living in the middle, which is tough because I think if we're not careful, we'll reduce our Christian life and we'll reduce Christianity to living in certain types of extremes, right? So it's always victory and we always win all the time, no matter what. Or if we can't win all the time, then we just don't want to try. We don't want to play. I'm taking my ball and going home. But somewhere the Christian life really is right there in the middle. And hopefully I can share this in a way that doesn't offend absolutely everybody in the next 15 minutes. So tackling a massive deal in in 15 minutes. And maybe this is a to be continued. But here, um, let me share a little bit of what um, has been stirring this. Last night, um, unexpectedly, uh, I just, I just broke, as Christy was telling me, uh, the experience of our young daughter. So Milan, for those who aren't aware, Milan was at the women's retreat and she had to leave early. Now here's the backstory on this. She had to leave early because she got sick. But the backstory here is that Milan has been asking Christy to go to the women's retreat for three years. And so for three years, Christy was not yet, not yet, not yet, not yet, not yet, not yet, not yet. 
And so this was finally the year. This was the year that she finally got to go. This was the year so she got her, she got her kindred jacket. We're putting it on Facebook. She's modeling it, right? She's getting, she, I mean, she, she's just, she's ecstatic to go to this women's retreat. Christy and Milan go up early on Thursday and Milan is just like, what do you need me to do? She's just setting up because she's just so grateful and so excited to be here. And then by Friday night, she takes a nosedive. I pull up at Woodland Park, man. I meet Christy halfway up, you know, the, the dirt road right there. And, and you just, God, I can just see it all over my, my baby girl's face. She gets in our van. We pull all her stuff out. And I'm just, you know, the tears. You're just seeing she's trying to be strong. And the tears. And she wasn't feeling well, so it was a quiet ride home. And, and I was, I was talking through the situation with Christy last night. Man, something just overcame me. And I broke. And I just... Like I broke like, like somebody had died kind of thing. And I was like, this is silly. I was like in the grand scheme of life, right? In the grand scheme, you know, there's always a retreat next year or she's healthy or there's all this stuff, but something just broke inside of me. And as I was processing this, I said, I said to Christy, I said, you know, in all the 30 years that I've been a Christian Christ follower, gone to church services, listened to a billion podcasts, I don't know if I've really heard many messages on how to deal with disappointment, particularly from my faith tradition, which is more of a word of faith, charismatic background. I have not heard many messages on how do you deal with disappointment? And as I was driving down the hill, something very profound happened. And I realized that no matter what I said to my daughter, no matter if I said, well, babe, hey, listen, you're, you know, we always have next year. Well, what does that do for today? What does that do for the fact, dad, that for three years, for three years I waited, now I have to wait another year. What is, what do I do with that? What do I do with the hurt, the pain? What do I do with the fact that everybody was karaokeing it up and I love to dance and have a good time and I'm sitting in my bedroom barfing. What do I do with that? And something just profound hit me and I just realized in this life, on this side of the eschaton, disappointment is just a reality of life. And sometimes well-meaning Christians, we actually discount something that God is doing and we discount, we discount just the utter reality of the pain of a fallen world and the pain of unmet expectations. Disappointment happens to all of us. And if we create a belief system that tries to inoculize or remove disappointment, we're setting ourselves up for major failure. We're setting ourselves up for greater disappointment and we're setting ourselves up to chafe the people in our community and become irrelevant to the world around us. Disappointment happens for a number of reasons. Number one, because we have misaligned expectations. Jonathan and Dan both said it earlier, but the the people that were there, they expected something of Jesus. They expected that he would be their messianic deliverer and that he was going to come in in a militaristic fashion. He was going to get his gladiator on, straight up Russell Crowe. You know, am I not merciful? And I mean, you know, I mean, just, yeah. And he was going to William Wallace this thing and just totally slaughter everyone. That was in their collective memory. They, They were expecting that. But here's what we have to understand. You got to think, guys, and we don't really have an understanding of this as Western disjointed, fragmented individuals, but in the collective ethos and memory of a people, for years it has been prophesied and promised someone's coming. 
someone's coming. You're not always going to be marginalized because someone's coming. You're not always going to be oppressed because someone's coming. You're not always going to be the underdog because someone's coming. Someone's going to deliver you. Someone's going to help you. And when this guy's rolling around and spitting on the ground and healing people and raising people from the dead, naturally, when the, when the story and the folklore happens from generation to generation, what do you expect? He's the one. He's the one. He's going to come and throw down, right? And then to make matters worse, Jesus comes strolling into the city just like Solomon came rolling into the city on a, on a donkey, on a colt, symbolizing a reign of peace. And they're going, ah, this was just like, this was just like all the stories that we heard and read about. And then Zechariah 9.9 speaks explicitly to the fact that the promised one would come in riding on a colt or a donkey. And they're all like, this is it. This is the moment. And so, yeah, their expectations are high. Their expectations are high. What do we do with that? They had misaligned expectations. Here's a couple of other reasons why we get disappointed. Guys, there are just certain things out of our control. Right, we just cannot control the fact that five days earlier, Israel gets a stomach bug. Where'd it come from? Don't know, don't care. Right, passes on to Kingston. Kingston carries it for five days. Kenya gets it on Wednesday and we're like, oh, Christy and I are like, and we're just thinking about Christy. All the prayer is going towards Christy. Lord, protect Christy. Cover Christy. Milan's just over there vulnerable. There's just some things we can't control, right? You can't control that. We can do everything we can to try to control it. All right, go to Costco and buy a thousand Clorox wipes and just go nuts. But at the end of the day, there are things that we can't control. And, and, and things happen that disappoint us because there's things that we can't control. Okay, all right, number three, um, we live in a fallen world. We have an enemy, okay? The fullness of the reign of the kingdom has not yet come. And that reality means that there will be some things that we expect that do not happen yet, okay? Um, the will of others. We cannot control the will of others. People make choices, okay? And then finally, why do we have disappointment? Because some of our own choices have put us in position where we're experiencing the consequence and the, consequence and the effect of either our own sin or our own choices. And so disappointment is just a reality in life. Okay, how do we deal with that? Well, in this particular narrative, we see people deal with it in a couple of different ways. We'll start with the followers of Jesus. Maybe I should end there. We're going to start with the Pharisees. <laughs> okay, the Pharisees. How do they respond to this? Well, first and foremost, they respond out of their place of revelation, which they have none. Okay, and so essentially for them, how they deal with disappointment is they just immunize themselves and they just become despondent, indifferent, calloused. How many of you guys have ever been there? You're like, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to break up. I'm going to break up with him first. I'm going to just cut off all feelings and affections and emotions, and I'm not going to feel anything because why? Because I don't want to be disappointed. I don't want to be hurt. I don't be, so what do I do? I just don't believe in anything. I don't get my hopes up. I don't live. I don't believe. I don't speak life. I don't arise again and sing. I don't arise at all. I stay. I stay 
in my disappointment. Now let's just, I'm, I'm going so fast. We have to be able to validate the pain of disappointment. So as I'm driving down the hill with my baby girl, all I'd say to her, and now we're both crying, just say, I just say, baby, I'm so sorry. This, this is all, this, this stinks. But like, you know, I want to communicate something that gets down into just the reality. I said, babe, this is awful. And I, and I, and I, I put words to what she was saying, babe, you've waited for this for three years. And I just, I want you to know I'm hurting for you. I'm sorry. Sometimes you have to, being human is recognizing that there are a full range of emotions that God has given to us. And we've got to be able to identify, recognize, not dismiss, not shut down, not ignore, not run away from, not deny that those are real emotions. And I'm touching every single one of those because of the reality of disappointment for those five things and more in this broken, fallen world. Right? So then the Pharisees are just like, here's how we deal with it. All we do, we just deny the reality of who you are and we just keep going our own way. We try to control everything and we shut down our emotion and we keep ourselves from being hurt. Okay? How do the crowds, how do they deal with their disappointment? Well, Jonathan alluded to this. But eventually those same people that in the elation of their excitement that they're swept into by the disciples, okay? Some of those people don't even know why they're shouting Hosanna. Seriously, they're just like, oh, oh yeah, Hosanna, yes. <laughs> Seriously. They don't even realize they have no deep-seated revelation. And the revelation that they do have, it's right there in the scripture. They were praising him. Why? Because of his miracles. They were praising them for sensation. They were praising him for what they expected a God or a Messiah to be. They were praising him not holistically. They were praising him for one small part of who God is that they liked. I like that. And listen, those same people that were shouting Hosanna because of his miracles were the exact same people that were saying crucify him. So how did they respond to their disappointment? They responded out of anger. And they responded out of anger because they so pigeonholed God into one facet of life. God is the one who always answers my prayer. God is the one who always gives me what I want. God is the one, and we define words like victory. We define those words. Now listen, this is, this is difficult. Here's the tension. We are victorious. Period. The victory has been established at the resurrection of Jesus. Period. I mean, we, we may talk about this a little bit next week, but I was thinking as we were worshiping and as I was wrestling through this, I, I think victory for some people in the Christian faith looks a lot like hearing that the Allies won in World War II, but yet everything was lost. Right? Like, yeah, hey, Hitler has been defeated. Freedom has come. And yet my father and my brothers and my uncles and everybody that I love and hold dear are gone. And so, yay, there's victory. But what do I do with all of this devastation in my life? But yes, Victory has been established. And yet, and yet I'm living in a moment, a season, a reality where it doesn't seem like I'm victorious. And yet, victory has been established. Does that make any sense at all? And this is the tension that we live in. 
And for some of our basketball fans, I had to throw this in here. Okay, this was the year. I got two, I got, I got two quick basketball analogies. Hopefully I can try to make all this work. But, you know, I'm a Duke basketball fan. Boo, hiss, boo, hiss, fine, whatever, okay? <laughs> but man, listen, we have one of the greatest coaches that ever coached the sport. And we had three of the top recruiting class in America. We're going to have the number one basketball guy going to the NBA, Zion Williamson. That's all you hear about. Like, we are supposed to win. It's done. We don't even have to play. We just show up. And people go, Zion? No, we live in a world, guys, where there is this just, there's this net. We have an enemy. We live with all of these unpredictable things. And you can't just show up and win. Okay, you don't, you can't just, you're not going to just win because we have the victory. Now, listen, we have the victory. But you still got to lace up and you still got to show up and you still got to practice and you still got to do the suicides and you still got to do free throws. God, help us, Duke, make some free throws. And you got to play defense because if you don't, if you don't, if you don't, in that analogy, you don't just win. In that analogy, okay? Now we have Virginia, national champs. Haven't been to the national championships in 1984 and crushing the game. Every game they played in the tournament. They won Purdue, went into overtime. The game was over, y'all. It was over. The game was done. And with literally like two seconds left on the game after Purdue or on the game, Purdue misses a free throw. Somebody from Virginia throws it in the opposite direction. I'm like, it's over, you've lost. Homeboy catches it on the other side of the half court, turns around, throws it all the way back, catches it, we're going into overtime, Virginia wins. They sink three free throws in the final four to beat Auburn in seconds. Seconds. Listen to me, I'm going somewhere with all this. They're playing, yeah, you're like, this really is a counseling session for you, isn't it? Get over it, dude. They lost. <laughs> I catch the last one minute of the national championship happened this, this Monday. How many of you guys know what happened? Texas Tech was up by one point. One point with one minute left. And then boom, they come down, score. They're up by three. Virginia, nope, we are not to be outplayed. Out, out come down and with one second left, tie the game, goes in overtime, win Virginia national championship. What are, we, what are we doing with this? What are we doing with this? Here's the thing. Victory is ours. Victory is ours. But we as Christians, guys, listen, we are living, literally we're living within, we're like we're living in seconds, maybe minutes of the fourth quarter. You are living in seconds and minutes of the fourth quarter. You are. And here's the crazy thing, and this is what I want us to understand. Like, Victory has been established for us in the eschaton, and there are elements of that victory that we're going to experience here. There are elements. But if I were to tell you that every single thing that you suppose to be victory and healing and full restoration and all, if I told you that all of that may not happen here, what would you do with that? 
would you stop playing the game? And listen, I'm not telling you it's not. I'm not telling you it won't. I'm just saying that there is a possibility that it might not. And we have to, we have to put this into our faith system. Otherwise, when grandmother who just died of cancer that I just fasted and prayed for, or the miscarriage, or the stillbirth, right? Come on, talk with me. Or the difficult things. If I don't have some place within my faith system, all I'm left to is I didn't have enough faith, I didn't try hard enough, or there's sin in my life. That's all we're left to. Or God's not a good God. Or God's not all powerful. That's it. Those are our only choices unless we step back and we say, listen, listen. There is maybe like the people that were saying, Hosanna, crucify him. Maybe there's something going on where our expectations are misaligned. Because if you quit the game, i.e. the faith, if you quit the game, if you respond out of anger, bitterness, resentment, confusion, hatred, those are real emotions. You will touch those. And those emotions are okay. But listen, if you stay there in that hatred, anger, bitterness, confusion, despondency, despair, hopelessness, if you stay there, and I don't know how long that is, and I don't need to know, and you don't need to know, you stay there as long as you need to, but I'm saying don't stay there forever. All right, we're, we're gonna get to the end of this thing, okay? If I were to tell you that if you stop playing and you say, like, listen, fourth quarter, Seconds away, Texas Tech is now up by three. And what if, what if Kyle Guy goes, I'm done? What happens? What happens to the game? What happens to the game? You lose. It's done, right? So here's what I'm trying to say. Faith, faith is all about dealing with the unknown. Faith is all about dealing with uncertainty. Faith is all about saying, I'm gonna, I'm gonna lace up and I'm gonna put it all on the line every time. Every time. Not knowing Zion Williamson, RJ Barrett, Cam Reddish. <laughs> Not knowing if I might lose. And then, so what do we do? Do we just go, well, I wanna protect my heart so I'm not gonna play as hard. Do we do that? Do we do that? Okay. And, and listen, if we do that, even here, I'm not going to sing. I'm not going to pray. I'm not going to believe. I'm not going to prophesy. I'm not going to do any of that. Because what if I do? What if I do? And what if after I do all that, the worst still happens? I'm thinking about my baby girl. What if she's like, why should I ever believe God for anything again? Well, now listen, disappointment's a reality in life. Okay, so what do we do? What do we do then with that? What do we do with our disappointment? We can get angry. We can get bitter. We can get resentful. We can lose our faith, we can walk away. We can drown in sorrow, we can, we can we just drown in all of those things. Or, 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 or. And Alter Team, you can get ready. Or we can find Jesus. We can find Jesus, okay? Because here's the thing, listen. Jonathan said it earlier. Everybody was like, hey, this is the one. And notice, this, is mess, this messes right here with my Christology. Jesus never corrected them. And he knew flat out they were wrong. He knew flat out that their misguided expectations were gonna devastate them and he never corrected them. He never did. Okay, now what do we do with that? What do I do with that? 
here's a thought. I think, and I propose to you, I think the Christian life, honestly, is just, it is, it is growth by response to current revelation. Think about this. The Christian life is growth by response to current revelation. Okay? So they, those guys who were shouting Hosanna, they were responding to the current measure of their revelation at that time. Okay? But then something changed and they were disoriented and they had to wrestle with the current revelation that I had and that I responded to was a little off. What do I do now? Well, you got to respond to the new revelation. Is this making any sense? Okay, so when Peter then is going, screw it, I'm out of here. Right, I'm gonna go back to fishing. I sunk three years of my life into this guy and it didn't work out. I quit. What? He responded for three years to the level of revelation that he had. He wasn't following Jesus as Jesus is. He was following Jesus as Peter assumed him to be. But he kept following him. And then Jesus shows up, breaks bread, Boom, eyes open. And now, Peter, we have a choice to make because there's new revelation. <gasps> Guys, listen, I was steeped in word of faith. Steeped. Steeped in it. You, man, there was not a negative word that came out of my mouth. There was not a negative thought that entered my mind. And if it did, I cast it down, took, took it captive to the obedience of Jesus. And now I've got rev new revelation that goes, what do I do with this? And I can't look back and go, God, I was so dumb or so immature. No, I go, I was responding wholeheartedly to the level of revelation I had. And I respond and I respond and I respond and I'm finding Jesus. I'm fine. Where are you, Jesus? And then all of a sudden something happens that absolutely disrupts the entire thing. And I go, Jesus, I've got to find out where you're at. Where are you in my disappointment? And when I find you, it doesn't necessarily erase the disappointment. Right? Mulan's never going to get that weekend back. It's done. It's over. It's gone. You understand what I'm saying? Yeah. But what I'm saying is that there is comfort and there is wisdom and there is redemption and that there is hope. Hope will live again. It will live again. I don't know when it's going to live again, but it will live again. It will live again. And don't force it. Don't just talk your way into it. Acknowledge the pain of the disappointment. I'm angry. I'm frustrated. I'm ticked. Cuss if you need to. And have it out with God. But listen, I'll say this and I'm done. It's not God's fault. It's not God's fault. We never have to forgive God. We don't. And here's why. What we have to do is we have to examine our own expectations that we had on God. I ex I, you have to own that. I expected you to do this. Okay. Let's stand to our feet this morning. I know this is, this is a hard one. Because with all of this, I am saying, I am saying God is good and I'm saying that he's all powerful and I'm saying that he heals and I'm saying that he delivers and I'm saying that he saves and I'm saying that he blesses us ridiculously and miraculously. I'm saying he does that. And I'm saying we should believe it and we should speak it and we should pray for it and we should prophesy it and we should rightly align our heart towards those things and we should find every promise and we should hold those with an open hand that says, Jesus, your will be done. And then if, 
And we have to do all of this. This is the hard part, guys. This is the hard part. We have to do all of that not holding anything back. And that's risky. It's like falling in love. What if I show all my cards and pour my heart out to this girl? I'm, I'm exposed. I'm vulnerable. But that's the life of faith. That's the life of faith. I love you and I want to marry you. I did it. Oh my God. I did it. I'm there. I did it. I can't now. Ah. And I'm scared as heck, but I got it. Hey, I did. I put it out there. And you may reject me and you may not like me. We may get into this five years or 18 years. You may see something you just can't, but I put it out there. <sighs> That's the life of faith. Jesus, help us. Jesus, help us. And today, as we come to this table, we're going to pray for two things. Number one, we're going to pray for a right revelation of who Jesus is and that we respond into that revelation. And number two, we're going to pray that if any of us are experiencing disappointment, that the one, the one, he is with us. He is present in our disappointment. He is right there with us, walking with us, present, ministering, speaking, incarnating the truth of who God is in the kingdom right in the middle of our disappointment you will come out and hope will live again because the game is not finished the game is not finished until he returns that is where ultimate victory and we get glimpses and we get parts of that Honestly, I believe we get a lot more of that than we give ourselves credit for. And we get a lot more of that than we realize that we can't have. But the fullness of it does not come till he returns. So don't give up. Don't pull yourself out of the game. Father, in the name of Jesus, we ask for a fresh encounter and a fresh revelation today here at the table of the Lord. At the broken body and the blood of Jesus, we pray, Holy Spirit, if any of my brothers and sisters today are in disappointment and in the confusion and the pain and the heartache and the brokenness that comes. God, I didn't see this. This wasn't how it was supposed to be. I did all the right things. Father, I am asking today that you would sit right with us in the middle of our disappointment and be present to us and hold us and heal us and weep with us and caress us. Oh God, I'm asking today that, that you would just gently lift up our chin and lift up our eyes, that we would see our helper right in the middle of our disappointment and that we would still trust you, oh God, we pray. In Jesus' name, we invite you to come to the table of the Lord. It is open to all. You are welcome. Thank you for listening to the Antioch Church Sermon of the Week. For more information about us, visit AntiochCOS.com.